Welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. And I am joined by friend and colleague, Chris Vanini. Welcome back to the show. Glad to have you. Great to be here. Coming fresh off a national championship playoff game on Sunday, a fun FCS final. Good to be here. A real national champion. A real playoff. A real playoff. A real playoff. Look at that. Look at that. Um, Well, we're glad to have you for Power Hour, where we discuss the biggest storylines in college sports in an hour or less. And we've actually got some news, which is not always the case in mid-May. We had actually quite a bit of news. We'll start with the Pac-12, making a commissioner hire. And Chris, I got to get your thoughts, first of all, when you saw the name of the person, George Klyovkov. Did you know who that was? I did not. I had to Google it. Just like everybody else had to Google it. And you find out that he's a guy from the entertainment world. So uh, credit to the Pac-12 for keeping this really under wraps all the way until the end. And uh, yeah, they surprised us. I think the AP first reported it, but not long after uh, the official news came down last week that the Pac-12 finally has its new man to replace Larry Scott. What I think is most interesting about this and where a lot of the conversation has centered is the outsider status. I think, you know, usually when someone hires someone with a certain background and it doesn't go the way that they want, they overcorrect and they go in the opposite direction. And I think a lot of us had thought that they were going to go for someone who had campus experience because Larry Scott didn't. He came from the tennis world, came from pro sports. And that was part of the eventual downfall of not having relationships with the coaches and athletic directors that some of the other commissioners do have, or like a commissioner-in-waiting, say Jim Phillips, who went from Northwestern to the ACC, had baked in, built in, also understood NIL and the playoff and all these things that anyone would have to get caught up to speed on. Instead, the Pac-12 goes again with someone without anyone with college sports background. I I do think that Klyovkov came across really well in his introductory press conference. He seems like he is getting up to speed really quickly. He doesn't officially start till July 1. And I think that, to me, this shows that the Pac-12 was like, hey, we got to catch up in terms of our money. We got to catch up in terms of our revenue and our exposure and these big picture things that can only be solved by a really successful media rights negotiation. And as much as we love the idea of someone with campus experience, that is our number one priority, and that's what's going to help fix our campuses and our football product. That was my main takeaway. Is that your main takeaway? Yeah, you know, I didn't know if, I didn't know a commissioner could win the press conference, so to speak. (laughs) I guess. Like you hear with coaches, you know, you gotta woo the donors, you gotta woo the recruits on, on that intro, knock it out of the park. Uh, But that's essentially what he did as a commissioner by simply stating the league's problems and where they need to get better at. They need to get better at football. They need to get better at uh, media deals and the money they're bringing in. It was pretty simple. He just he pretty much like if you were to ask any regular old sports writer to, to, to bullet point some topics that the new commissioner needs to touch on. That's what he did. And I think you saw a lot of comments from writers and people who follow the league afterward that hey, this guy seems to at least know what the problems are. And that sometimes didn't feel like the case with Larry Scott. So step one is realizing that there are problems, and it seems like he realizes they are there, and he knows uh, what he needs to fix. 
Did it go over well, though, saying like, okay, we know where our bread is buttered? He literally said that phrase and was talking about football, men's basketball. This is a league that does take a lot of pride in its Olympic sports. Just had two women's basketball teams in the national championship game. Do Are we concerned at how that came off? Or is it overall just admitting the shortcomings? And that's fine. And everyone else understands that football basically pays for everything else to happen. I mean, it's both. I mean, I think he, I think he made that comment when he was asked about women's basketball or something like that. So I can understand why to a lot of people in that community, it would have come off the wrong way. But but he's not wrong. The overall point is not wrong. Football is what pays for pretty much everything. Football is where the money comes. Football is the reason that TV companies want to get involved with the conference. That's just that's just a fact. That's where it is. So um was it a little bit tone deaf, maybe in the context of uh, the question he was asked at the time? Probably. And, and, and th- there's reason to be irked by that. But the overall point, I think, doesn't change. And that, you know, the, the Pac-12 is a conference of, conference of champions. It wins all kinds of national titles and sports that the average sports fan doesn't follow. And that's great for the league. But at the end of the day, the Pac-12 is compared to the other conferences and how much money it brings in and what it does in football because – this is an entertainment product, and that's why they hired a guy from the entertainment world. I, I keep thinking about how funny the reaction would have been. Although I'm, I'm sure there, there still was this reaction in some corners, but the idea of hiring someone who is from Vegas, works in gambling, <laughs> to run a college conference. I mean, the, 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 the conversation around legalized sports gambling has changed so much in the last three, four, five years that – it was a topic that came up that he addressed his background there, but it was a benefit. It was talking about how, you know, sports betting can be beneficial for the Pac-12. And there's a conversation about how NIL could be beneficial for the Pac-12. And he, before even being asked about it, was saying college football expansion is beneficial for the Pac-12. There were a lot of, there's clearly a lot of thought put into what his stances on these topics were going to be. And these are the topics that are going to define the future of college sports. I thought the the playoff question was maybe the most interesting one because we've heard a lot of commissioners or athletic directors and coaches, people who take over a job on day one, and they say like, hey, give me time. I need to do my research and figure out my stances on stuff. And we especially heard that from Kevin Warren when he came over from the NFL. And he said, like, there's NIL, there's playoff, all this stuff. I need to, like, do a crash course in it. This is not what happened. Klyovkov came out guns blazing and was like, we got to expand this thing and play the Pac-12 needs to be part of it. This is a talking point that Larry Scott, I think, should have taken up sooner. I thought it was another piece of the refreshing part of this, the idea of winning a press conference, because there's no reason that the league that has been left out the most should not be talking about this and fighting for this all the time. Chris, you and I have covered playoff expansion quite a bit in the last 12, 24 months. I I think that it doesn't, I, I don't know that like the brand new person to sit at the table is going to necessarily have the same sway as say Greg Sankey or literally anyone else in this table. But I think publicly, this is exactly what the Pac-12 should be doing. Like they should be carrying the flag for expansion. 
Yeah, no, nobody needs it more than them. And clearly, he, he did not get the, the memo from Bill Hancock to kind of be quiet on the expansion talk like some of the other commissioners have been. Um, and, and he may, it, it seemed like he was just basing this off of the reports he'd read that there was talk about expansion. Like you said, he's not even getting in there for a couple of months, so he's not going to be part of a lot of those talks yet. But um, yeah, Pac-12 needs expansion. Pac-12 needs to have a guaranteed spot. You know, someone like, Greg Sankey and the SEC may not want to, but at the end of the day, they've all got equal representation on that board. It's all 11 or all 10 FBS uh, conference commissioners plus Notre Dame. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Larry Scott tried. He pushed for expansion at the beginning of this pandemic season, realizing it was going to be a weird year. It was kind of too little too late. Uh, But had Larry Scott stayed aboard, I'm curious if if he would have continued to push it because – yeah, it's, it's, it's nothing but good for the Pac-12. The, the league is down in football. They're losing their best players. Making a playoff is difficult for them. Why not get yourself an automatic spot and all the money that comes with it? It's a no-brainer. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying, or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the the behind-the-scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. I've harped on this a lot when people talk about the playoff expansion topic, a lot of people would argue it should be the best teams, like just because Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State, Oklahoma are recruiting at a level, playing at a certain level, make everybody else get better and get up to that level. That's not really what the the expansion conversation is. It's about access and engagement. And so for the Pac-12 to be irrelevant in the playoff conversation It means that no one's engaging with that part of the country. People are not engaging with the playoff chase and the conference race. They're not paying attention. And, you know, not that it's the only factor, but we have talked a lot about the exodus of talent from that footprint and guys going to places like Alabama and Clemson where, yes, you're going to be absolutely developed and go become a first-round draft pick in the NFL or whatever, but you're also knowing that you're getting a chance to play for a national championship, which is important to people. So I think that that is absolutely going to be part of his platform, his push. We might not see or hear a lot about him, you know, until he actually officially takes over July 1. But he wanted to get those those conversations out there because there are going to be playoff meetings at the end of June. June is shaping up to be a very important month. You have that. You also have name, image, and likeness really coming to a head Chris, I know we talked about this last week, and it really feels like it is the number one conversation, even though maybe it's a little dry. It still is like fundamentally the bedrock of college sports to date was that these athletes were not paid. These were amateur athletes, and they're going to be able to receive money for their names, images, and likenesses. They're going to be able to do sponsorships, endorsements in some capacity. We're still we're still not exactly sure when and where and who all we'll get to because it's very messy right now. Very. But 
we will talk about actual football on this podcast as we get closer to the season. But for now, this is the main thing because July 1, again, is an important deadline on this. So Chris and I talked to 31, well, really a little bit over than that, but we, our survey was 31 athletic directors and commissioners. And we got a survey out on the athletics website. And it's about the questions I've been wondering about name, image, and likeness reform. It's like, okay, so if we get to July 1st and Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, and New Mexico have laws that say, hey, if you play at a school in our state, you can go do an endorsement deal. You can go paid a thousand bucks to post, um, you know, about this protein powder. Then what happens if there is no NCAA rule change? If if all the 40 the something other states don't have a law in effect, there's no federal law at that point, what happens? And Chris, I thought the most interesting responses we got to this survey and that question was that there are people who are really worried about it and there's people who aren't. And there are people who think that they should, you know, kind of fight to get injunctions and sue the states. There are people who think the NCAA legislation is the answer. And then there's also people who are like, eh, if some states have it, some states don't. That's just how it is. And it's just going to be this period of like discomfort in college sports. I just thought it, the most interesting thing to me was how different everybody viewed it. Yeah, I, I mean, that's like some people, you know, it's like the sky is falling. This is going to completely reshape college football. Some people are really panicked. Some coaches are really panicked. You saw coaches in the state of Florida tweeting at politicians about the date that it started for them. And you have others who don't think it's that big of a deal. They, they, they think, well, first of all, this period is probably not going to be all that long until everybody's under the same roof, whether it's October, whenever there's federal legislation, whenever the NCAA comes up with something, we're not going to go years and years and years without this. So it's going to be a small period of time. And those people also point out how many kids are picking a school based on name image likeness. Is that really going to be the determining factor when you talk about, are they going to play? What's the coach like? How close is it to home? Those are the factors that are going to matter most to recruits. So you have some people who think this is not the big of a deal. And in the end, it'll go in the same bucket as satellite camps or cost of attendance, which, you know, it seemed like every year we kind of had a big piece of drama every year in the off season that was going to tear everything down about college football. And then, we just kind of get used to it and nobody cares anymore. And they think some people think that's going to be the case here, but there are people who are like, yeah, NCAA is going to have to sue the States because of the interstate commerce commerce act. There's going to be injunctions. There's going to have to be something done. So that was the most interesting part about the survey that we did was that there was a wide variety of opinions between the people who kind of control these things at the top of college sports. What, what I also think is something to keep an eye on is a couple people said, people are just going to start pressuring their own states to pass stuff if they yeah. don't have something. Because they are going to view this as a competitive advantage. Because even to your point, like, is someone really going to make a decision based on NIL? Well, let's say you're a grad transfer, you've got one year of eligibility left, and you're looking at the landscape right now and you're saying, huh, if I go to a school in Florida, I can make money this fall. And it's my last year. So like, that's the the, the advantage is if you, if you have something in place this summer – and there's nothing else in place yet because there is no federal law. The NCAA is yet to pass its legislation. I also thought it was really interesting that a couple people brought this up that, or at least one really adamantly said, the NCAA shouldn't do anything. Because right now we're in this point where everyone's expecting 
them to pass like their own rule change. It's not a law, but they're going to pass something so that everyone in every state can do some bare minimum of NIL. But that still opens you up to lawsuits and antitrust problems. And I think that was the hesitation in January when they didn't pass their own legislation. Right. And they said, let's just wait for you know the federal government. Congress is going to help us. Maybe there can be a bipartisan law that gets passed from the Senate that originates in the Senate and, and kind of swoops in and saves the day. So at this point, it feels like we are heading towards sometime in June, maybe an emergency meeting. Something gets passed from the NCAA rule changes so people aren't ineligible. You have still some states that take effect July 1, but you're still really trying to put this pressure on Congress. And I think that one thing that also jumped out was someone making the argument that a lot of this is going to happen at the 11th hour because people just don't realize that it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And the quote is, like, shit's going to hit the fan. Because it is. But we're still in May. It feels very close for me, for you. But there are still going to be some people who realize, wake up, and they're like, oh, crap, this is about to start. And I think that that's even possibly going to happen with senators who are going to say, oh, maybe we should actually focus on this now. We've got a million other things on our plate. But, you know, this is kind of becoming an urgent issue. Let us not forget that Kirby Smart got the public records laws changed in the state of Georgia by convincing politicians it would be a recruiting advantage to make it harder to get public records from the University of Georgia. And Georgia (laughs) passed their NIL law in their football facility. So this stuff is connected. And, And I mean, we had Florida coaches and Florida State coaches, Miami coaches, people lobbying their like people anything that can be perceived as a recruiting advantage will be viewed as a recruiting advantage and so even if it's not true the coaches can convince the politicians that it's a big deal and they'll do it yeah and it's a big deal for them for their state flagship programs to be good so this is just something to keep an eye on and i think we also asked them the other stuff that i thought was really interesting was about agents and middlemen like there is going to be a provision in whatever is passed that will allow actual agents to help negotiate deals and that is something that is again we're talking about like kind of fundamental topics that were repulsive to a lot of people and felt like the antithesis of college sports there's going to be a lot more above board third party influence at this point i think that is obvious and people are nervous i think that was that was something that across the board the overwhelming majority of people we talked to were very very concerned about this because it's this whole fertile ground of opportunities now where it's not just the best of the best athletes which right now might be the ones that you're worried about you know with people um you know trying to take advantage of them but it will be everyone because there will be opportunities for the gymnasts of the world the Um, you know, walk on kicker who has a funny YouTube channel, like there will be opportunities for people to make money off of these athletes. And people are extremely, extremely worried about that. I think that was something that jumped out to me that that was the majority of the answers we had were like a five out of five of concern. Yeah, they're concerned about just the wrong people getting around certain players, convincing them to take certain deals, convincing them to do different things with whatever money may or not be available. That's a fair concern. And a lot of these schools are going to be teaching, you know, they teach financial classes. There's a lot of stuff that comes along with this. So, so they're prepared, but at the same time, like 
you know, you kind of got to let them figure this out as they go along. And I don't think these ADs don't want NIL to happen, um, but I, I think the <laughs> concerns are legitimate and it makes sense why, uh, why, why they'd be concerned about that. And it was pretty, pretty overwhelming. I mean, based on our survey, I think almost everybody was a four or a five out of five on their concern about this. Yeah, I think the only people who said that they weren't concerned were saying this stuff happens already and you can't essentially legislate to the worst of the worst, assuming that people are going to be really bad actors. Yeah. You also had people raising the point that there's no way to... We we don't actually know what the penalty will be for breaking this rule. We also don't know what the mechanism will exactly look like for reporting it. Like, it might still be... um, you know, kind of like you have to do it voluntarily. And that is really putting a lot of faith in people to do the right thing. How would that ever be checked? Um, So Chris, uh, tell me like the most eye-opening actual quotes from administrators that we talked to, because I think we had some very interesting perspectives. Yeah, I I think kind of on your last point, there is that a lot of this cheating or whatever you want to call it has been going on already and i I like one of the quotes we got from from uh someone who said he said this person said people will cheat what's the alternative not providing this type of opportunity because you're worried that people behave unethically you can't legislate to the bad apples i personally don't care if joe's pizza wants to pay the alabama quarterback a million dollars a year good for the alabama quarterback so i i think there are people on that side of the fence who realize that this is all going to happen anyway it's important that it happens. And if there's some problems that come along the way, it's worth it in the end. I think that was one of my favorite quotes out out of all the ones that we got. Yeah. And then again, that was the minority opinion. I mean, people were definitely still, you know, more tense about the situation. Like we got two people, we said one to five, five being the most concerned. We got two, or I got two at least in my responses that were like five plus, like, can I add plus signs? Like they were (laughs) extremely, extremely worried about this. And, you know, the couple of the quotes that jumped out to me were, you know, we're all human. It will be hard not to cross the line. You can't define right from wrong at this time and initially with NIL. Right now, everyone knows right from wrong. There's some real ethic, it's ethical questions about this and the way that it's going to be reporting. It's going to be an honor system in some capacity, even if you have like some ledger that you have to fill out. It's going to be a thing. And I think it's going to be more impactful than cost of attendance stipends. You know, I I guess I did think that legalized sports betting would be a little bit more impactful. People really were quite fearful about that too. But this is fundamentally going to change it. We just, we like collectively us and also the greater public, everyone involved in college sports, like everyone's just waiting to find the rules right now. And it's very possible we're going to get to a point where there's different rules for different people. I mean, the other question we asked was about third-party companies. I mean, if you're a fan, you've probably seen some of the stuff about open doors or influencer. Your your team is maybe partnering with some third-party company to help players extend their brands. And a lot of the ADs we talked to haven't come to an agreement yet because they don't know what the rules are. And they said, we'll, we'll, we'll look into that more once we know what's allowed and what's not allowed and if we, if we feel like we need this or not. So a lot of them are still wait and see on what exactly is allowed. And when you go to Congress with this kind of thing, as they ended up doing, that could bring in all sorts of other unintended issues, topics that are tackled that you didn't expect because, you know, 
Congress is going to do what Congress does. And so this may not just be kept to a couple specific things. This may open up a can of worms, all kinds of things. And nobody knows what's coming next. Yeah. And as we signed up to cover sports and instead are following Congress and the Supreme Court for the year of our Lord 2021. That's absolutely the next question is, okay, so you're asking for Congress to come swoop in and save everything and and find the eventual solution here. Okay, well, what if they want to include, you know, long-term healthcare coverage for athletes? Um, That's something that's been very important to Cory Booker. What if they want to talk, take on group licensing, which is something I think you can do without a union, but that's a topic that also they haven't touched and wasn't part of the NIL. Um, so there's just like a lot of different directions I think things can continue to go. And it's the bedrock. It's how this all works. It's how athletes are treated fairly or unfairly. We're in this era of student-athlete empowerment. So the ability to own your own likeness, this is something we've talked about for a long time and was a topic of conversation during March Madness with the hashtag not NCAA property movement. The Pac-12 on Monday night became the latest conference to get rid of their transfer rules so everyone can play right away. Even if you transfer within your own conference, which is what the NCAA rule says, you get one the one time transfer like everything is moving in that direction. So I even think if you get in a situation where like those five states have a law that is different and like less restrictive than NCAA rules, no one's going to be able to punish them. Like you're not going to like we're just so far far past that. I can't picture that. And the people we were talking to couldn't imagine a world where the NCAA is like ruling Mackenzie Milton out like that. He's ineligible because he's cashing in on Florida's NIL law. That's not going to happen. No, it's just a weird base that we are in politically and public opinion wise where it's totally shifted on this yeah and and, and a lot of people i mean emert has kind of said too that they won't penalize those kids who do that so it's kind of open season if, if it's allowed in your state so yeah that's less than a month and a half away now and and yeah you mentioned the quote at the beginning i really like this quote we got from from one of the ad's who said it doesn't seem real enough to people at the moment wait until next month when shit hits the fan because we're really coming up against a deadline here and there's no real sign of anything happening. They're meeting this week, but they're not going to come to a conclusion on this. They still could, but they are running out of time uh, before this July 1st date. Yes, they are. And we will be tracking it. We also have actually a very helpful FAQ page on The Athletic. So be sure to read our survey. Be sure to bookmark the FAQ page. All NIL developments will be there, and we promise they will be in normal English, so you can follow along and not get too far into the weeds. Um, Chris, before we go, we have to do our last call for listeners who maybe this is your first episode. This is the part of the show where we rant or rave about something. It's it's something, you know, that at 2 a.m. at a bar with the last call, you would get a last round of drinks to cheers to, or you're really worked up by that point in the night and you got to get something off your chest. Chris, unless you've got one ready to go, I have a good one. I've got one, but you you go first. Okay. It's a rant. I try to be optimistic sometimes, try to be last half full, but this is a rant. (laughs) All right. You were talking about like time running out, and it got me thinking about an experience that I had over the weekend. I decided to retake up tennis. (laughs) And this was actually inspired by Larry Scott, the outgoing Pac-12 commissioner who came from the tennis world. I was talking to him, and he was on his way to play tennis. And I was like, you know what? 
Maybe I should get a racket again. Maybe I should play and, and, again. And Maybe you've played before, right? You've had this. Yeah, I, play, I played in high school. I was second singles at a school that was not very good at sports, though. So still pretty good, though. It was still pretty good. So anyway, I was telling Larry this, and he was like, "Yeah, you should absolutely do it. It's such a great lifelong sport, et cetera, et cetera." I was like, "That's all I need to hear. What it sound? What a lovely Sunday this <laughs> sounded like you were having, driving to go play tennis with some friends." So I so I order this racket, get it. There's public courts near me, so I go and I meet my friend. And it was beautiful. Chicago is finally like we're in our nice weather phase. And there's this there's all this like unspoken code about how you reserve courts. So like you, there was this whole thing where you put your rackets like in an order. And then like as the court opened, the first the person with the first racket got to go because they were there first. So it was this whole system, elaborate system that I was learning on the fly. And people were supposed to max out it in an hour. And you were supposed to get off the court. It was an honor system. And much I like have, NIL. Much, much like, like NIL. Much like NIL. I have never seen people act this way to other strangers before. There was so the, so there were there were people that were clearly going over an hour because we were waiting for an hour. So we could see anyone who was there before we got there was clearly breaking the rules. So there were these two guys playing on the court closest to us. This is a long last call, but it's a good story. <laughs> so these two guys are still playing. They're just hitting back and forth. And this one guy got so fed up, he yelled to them and said, five-minute warning. <laughs> like this random stranger yelling this to other people. And I was like, oh, my God. He's, I think like, they're going to get really mad about this. So they like don't acknowledge it. And then he starts like commentating on their play. <laughs> and he's like, oh, like, Bet you're rethinking that lob, huh? I was like, oh my God, this is like going to start a fight. He was so mad about this time limit. Then, so then they, they took forever to get their stuff off too. Like, you know, like having a sip of water, moving really slow. Because they, they did come off in a few minutes, but they were clearly pissed too. So I thought a fight was going to break out. It did not. Then another guy went on the court and waited in the baseline behind someone playing and was like, your time's up. I have never seen people act this way. I don't know what's happening, but there is a problem out here about the etiquette of public tennis courts in Chicago. Someone needs to fix this. Everyone needs to get on the same page and people need to be considerate. If you see a lot of people waiting somewhere and there's an official slash unofficial time limit, you got to follow the rules. Like I... That guy was obnoxious. He yelled five-minute warning to someone. He didn't know when there isn't really, like, a clock. But he was correct in the take of, like, you should not be going over an hour. It makes me angry that I have to agree with the obnoxious guy. But he was correct in the circumstance. So my thing is, my last call here is that people need to be considerate coming out of the pandemic. I know we've all been thinking about just ourselves in our four walls at home. But... This is not how you treat other people in the real world. Don't yell at them, first of all. But second of all, if it says an hour, it's an hour. Like power hour. It all comes full circle. Question. So, so you were inspired by Larry Scott for this. How many of the 10 FBS commissioners do you think play tennis? Ooh, probably a lot of them. You think? I mean, like, golf, golf is different. Anybody can do they golf. golf. It's easy. They yeah, all I'm golf. sure they all golf. Tennis is, um, a, tennis is a different kind of commitment. True, but it's still something you don't have to. It's a lifelong sport. Maybe, maybe, maybe that should be our, should be our next survey. 
Yeah, I was gonna say maybe we should survey 31 ADs and commissioners about how much they play tennis. I think people. Would I mean, it's it's having a resurgence because of the pandemic. I'm part of it. I'm part of it now. Yeah. Clearly. Okay, your last call. Clearly. Go ahead. I'm uh, finally. I needed. You know, I needed to rant about that. It's been bothering me since <laughs> Sunday morning. Okay. Yeah, you had not told me that, so this is the first time hearing it. So <laughs> it's clearly it was a problem. Um, I'm gonna end this on a football conversation, and that is a uh, what do we call it? A tip of the cap, last call, shot, whatever. Glasses up for Eric Schmidt, the quarterback of Sam Houston, who led the Bearcats to the FCS National Championship on Sunday, their first ever championship. This guy got beat all the hell up in Sunday's game against South Dakota State. He got hit up high early and was spitting up blood. He sprained his ankle later. He's getting hit every third play, it seems like. Sometimes he's just going to the ground without even getting hit. And he had told the coaches, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. I've got three months to recover after this game. It's a championship game. You got to leave me in. And they left him in and they go down with about five minutes left. Schmidt comes out, completes, I think three passes in a row. They're late. They're, they're later. They've got a third and 10. He runs for nine, fourth and one. He runs for nine again. Later, they got a third and seven. He runs for four, jumping over a defender, completes a fourth down pass. And then with 16 seconds left, there was a 10 yard touchdown pass to beat South Dakota state 23, 21, just a really fun game that was kind of ugly early on with the, with a with a lightning delay and a downpour. But the second half was really exciting. And Eric Schmidt, quarterback of Sam Houston, one of the gutsiest championship quarterback performances I can recall in quite some time. I don't know how he had any energy left. I mean, when the game ended and everybody's running around, he wasn't running around. I was watching him. He was just kind of standing there because he had nothing left. So uh, gave it literally all he had, and it won them a national championship. So credit to Eric Schmidt. Do you think he plays tennis? Uh, not anytime soon. I don't think he plays tennis. Sorry, right. it might be it might be it might be safer for him. A little bit of a less yes. contact sport. Yes. Cheers to that. Cheers to all of our listeners. Thank you for joining us for Power Hour. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, you can get forty percent off if you go to theathletic.com/nicole. Andy Staples will be back the rest of the week. He's got some nostalgia on tap for you. I think, Chris, you are making an appearance somewhere in there with Andy. Um, And we'll be back next Tuesday for Power Hour. For Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. (laughs) 